So, John, what do you like to go by nowadays? Founder? Founder. Just founder? I think founder. Founder. Okay. Graduated from head distiller? I rolled over all those duties to somebody else. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right. that's the best part of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Smooth Ambler, well, you may know him because they made a name for themselves with the brand of Old Scout, but this was before the big craze of higher age sourced MGP when it was actually relatively easy to find, but all good things come to an end, and now they have to figure out how do they keep that business sustainable. John Little, he's the founder of Smooth Ambler, and he joins the show once again to talk about why, how transparently sourcing whiskey was critical to the component of their business and success. And John feels they made plenty of mistakes early on, and they're trying to recapture that glory that Old Scout once had. We dive into the economics of sourced whiskey and that source market of increased cost, but we also want to touch on what the future holds for their own distilled whiskey coming from West Virginia. With that, enjoy this week's episode now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Matt McNeil, who writes me on fredminnick.com. If I have friends that are interested in learning more about bourbon, is it really necessary for me to attend a class to learn how to set up a tasting flight? Or is there an easy flight that would be a great starting point to introduce someone to bourbon flavors? Why, Matt, you write write me with a subject matter that I'm very passionate about, that I've spent my entire career kind of developing, and that is um, the best introduction flight for bourbon is the following, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why for for each one. First, you need you need to set something up on flavor profiles, but remember what you taste is going to be different than what like a newbie taste and like what a you know whiskey drinker tastes like so you know you need to kind of like use that as a tool but it's not the main thing more than anything you need to have talking points on each one of the products so i like to have a tasting that varies the mash bills and are widely available and you have one barrel finish in there so maker's mark is widely available it's a weeded bourbon it gives you an opportunity to talk about how wheat is used in a recipe and it tends to be, you know, it tends to have a pretty powerful vanilla note. And, you know, you can talk about how wheat can have those characteristics, add those characteristics to a bourbon. Uh, I like to have like a kind of like traditional recipe, you know, so something that has um, close to equal parts rye and barley. So that would be like a Evan Williams bottled and bomb. So you have a couple things to talk about there. You got the bottled and bond act you can talk about. And you also have, um, you know, a traditional mash bill. And then I like to go to a high rye version, which is uh, obviously the number one high rye maker out there is um, is Four Roses. Now, we're talking about bourbon here, folks. We're not talking about other whiskeys. We're talking about bourbon. So bourbon is has to be predominantly corn. And the secondary grain for Four Roses is rye. And they use a shit ton of rye in the recipe. And that yields a real powerful spicy note, cinnamon typically. And so that gives you some talking points there. And then the fourth product I like to have in a beginner tasting or the train the trainer kind of thing 
is a barrel finish. And the most accessible barrel finish would be Angel's Envy. Now, I'm the first person to talk about how barrel finishes are not good for the category when bourbon's front on the label. However, I love the flavor profile. I think they're great. And it gives you an opportunity to talk about the evolution of bourbon. And while the while the laws are kind of getting worked out, these are really great whiskeys that you can find and are and are pretty tasty. So that's a pretty good that's that's a good lineup there that I like to start people with. Again, you need material to talk about other than the flavors. Because if you are talking about flavors, you are essentially talking to yourself in the mirror because you cannot expect someone to taste exactly like you. That's why in all my stuff, I use this as kind of like pointers, but you gotta learn to taste for yourself and everybody's gotta learn to taste for themselves. Kenny, Ryan, myself, we all have instructional videos out there. There's a lot of things that you can go and check out on YouTube. You know, my book, Barbara Curious, breaks down like how to taste pretty well as well. So, I, you know, just spend some time doing some research and, you know, kind of find your own style as well. I hope that helps. Good luck, Matt. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Matt, hit me up on uh, fredminnick.com. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan taking the gear on the road once again. We don't get to do this very often, but today we had a nice little drive across the country.
Yeah, I don't know if it's across the country, but across the <laughs> one, one, we crossed one state line. We crossed one mean, state line. Yeah, but it was a beautiful drive. We're here in uh, West Virginia, in uh, Lewisburg, West Virginia. But uh, it's funny when we drive here or anywhere, I'm always looking at plants and the foliage, what's going on. And I'm like, it's spring right now. And oh, my like, gosh. Like, look at the dogwoods and the redbuds and the, the rolling hills and the mountains. And Kenny's like, I'm on my laptop. I'm, gonna, I'm getting back to email. Shut up. <laughs> I'm on my <laughs> laptop. Not even heads down. They didn't even look outside the entire time. That's what that's what I did. I know. He's Mr. Pragmatic. But uh, no, it was a beautiful drive. We're here in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Have to visit our friends at Smooth Ambler. I'm excited, except that. We're here with John, and he you're, it's, he just did, we're excited. Except that we're here with John. Is that what well? You're I'm, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to be with John, but I'm kind of nervous now because he just shared with us that the hotel we're staying at's haunted, and one of our rooms is haunted. So. It's my room, actually. <laughs> I know, so. but I'm stressed for you, so I'm interested to see if you have a ghost in your room in room 208. It's going to be like that one movie with the girl in the white dress and coming out of the the fireplace or out of the TV is what it was. Thank God there's no TVs in there, but we do have a fireplace. So I have a feeling it's just going to be like that. And if I hear a loud scream in the middle of the night, I know it's, I know the ghost came. Yeah. Just a weird arching back looking at you. Yeah. All right. I don't want to think about it because it's just going to give me nightmares as we keep going into this, but let's go ahead and introduce our guest for today. So today on the show, we have John Little. You've heard him on the show plenty of times before. I'm going to go back yeah. and try to dig up all those episode numbers. But he is the founder over here in Max Welton, West Virginia, Lewisburg, West Virginia, wherever we're at. It's all pretty close here. I get that wrong. Of, of Smooth Ambler Spirit. So, John, welcome back to the show. Well, welcome to wild and wonderful West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's what it says when you drive in here. It's wild and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wanted to add a little excitement, so we uh, thought we could break out the haunted hotel for you as well. It's probably not even a true story. We need to Google. He it. he brought it up. He showed me. He showed me on the phone. So I, I showed him on the all knowing Google. Yeah. It has to be true if it's on the if it's on the internet. Oh, it's definitely true for sure. So I, I'm just glad it's. Room 208, not 218. <laughs> not 218. <laughs> yeah. You could check the ledger. I signed into it. It'll be there. Yeah. It was funny on our drive here. I was like, we were talking about how many you've been on, but we also did, we were talking about Burn Beyond and we did a fascinating talk. It was one of the more exciting talks, I thought, because not only because we were on it, but we were talking about Source Whiskey with you, Marianne, and I'm trying to think of the fellow from Boone's, Boone, uh, Boone, Boone County. County. And we were talking about Sourced Whiskey versus you know, distilled spirit, you're just making your own versus source whiskey. And it was like a, I think it was like at six o'clock at night, everybody had been drinking all day and it was like really a, a spirited debate. It was fun. Well, we got lots to add to that conversation yeah. about, uh, about the source whiskey and the homemade whiskey, right? I think we're in a really good spot here, a really unique spot in terms of what we're doing these days, you know, both making our own, we've been making our own now for about 12 years. And of course we've been sourcing our own stuff for about 10 or 11 years and then mingling the two of those different things. So, and of course, uh, we've tried to be the one of the leaders in authenticity and transparency when it comes to the source whiskey. So certainly got plenty to add to that to that conversation. Yeah. So this is part two on that. Yeah. Like we didn't record that one. That was just live. <laughs> that was. So, yeah. Well, I actually looked it up. So you were back. It was pre episode one hundred. So episode seventy nine was Dang, one of the first OG. ones you were on there. Now, what and episode then, are we on now? Uh, uh, we're up to 300 and something. I don't even know what, whenever this comes out, but we've released around a little bit over 550 episodes so far. So between right. everything we're doing. So that was, that was the first one. Then we're back again on 227. So congratulations. We got, we're, well, we're getting you on a cycle here. That's what it is. But this time <laughs> we've all grown up since then. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this time, you, this time you're like, guys, you got to come out and check out this trailer. Right? Yeah. All I right, wanted you guys it. to come here and see this place for the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've known each other at least in some way, uh, shape or form for, 
you know, seven, eight, nine years now. So I wanted you all to be here and see what we do and see what we think makes uh, makes West Virginia special and makes what we do special. So I'm glad you all came. Oh, good. Yeah. We're excited for that. And we're excited to pick a barrel after this is over. Oh, I know. That's why I'm really excited. It's my birthday today. So we get to get a <laughs> get birthday barrel. Birthday is barrel it your birthday? It is, yeah. Oh, 30 se- 37 today. 37. I remember that. It was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I was about to say, have your, have your hobbies changed a little bit since you were 37? I know just to kind of give more people a personal touch behind you is, you know, your, your son is, is big into biking and it looks like that you've picked that, that kind of a hobby up for yourself too. So kind of talk about that. Yeah. I, well, I don't think I had many hobbies for a long time, right? When we were trying to get the business off the ground, we, we had the idea in 2008. So I was 36 years old then. And for, you know, for the next 10 or 12 years after that, I didn't really do much but work. I was really just trying to do everything I could to do at Smooth Ambler and hold on. So over the last couple of years, as our team has gotten more experienced and we our team has grown, I'm able to take a little bit of some of those tasks. I've handed off some of those tasks to some of those people, and uh, it's allowed me to, a little bit of a chance to spend some more time with my family, which is great. They, you even they, moved your office across the street. That's, yeah. a, that's how much he's getting away from it. He's, he's, acro- he's across the street from it. That's literally across the street. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm, exa- I'm across the street. It feels nice, right? So. You know, I, I felt like for a long time that I had to be everything for everybody, right? Being here in the tasting room and greeting every person that came in here and being on the road and still trying to keep my hands on production here. And so we've got a really wonderful team here now and I can go and I'm able to spend a little bit more time uh, with my family now. And yeah, my son's into mountain biking. So of course, you know, a lot of parents try to pick up whatever their kids are into. So I'm doing the same thing. And when we say mountain biking, we need to put this in perspective. Like this is hardcore mountain biking. When I look at what you you all do, and I'm riding up to Target, you no, know, on a mountain bike, I feel like it's like between that and what you'd see on like the Red Bull GoPros. Like it's it's, it's somewhere it's yeah. somewhere between those. Yeah, somewhere between the, my, somewhere between those things. My son is riding about 180 miles a week, so he's really putting in the miles right now. So I am not like that. That is a very different thing. What he does and what I do, you are, subtract are, a zero off there. Is that what yeah? It is? I, we do. <laughs> different things we do different things but i try to get into it right something a bond for us to share so it's been a really nice thing you know it keeps me young keeps me in shape and of course i'm i want to i want to be as fit as i can to be around for as long as i can so it's good it's good and it's good that i get to have that bond with him and i get to knock a few pounds off on the same on the same trip so how hard is it to go from you know like you said being involved in everything to taking a step back what kind of like mindset or shift did you have to make to do that wow that's a really good question uh and I, I'm not 100% sure because I'm still living it right yeah. now, right? When we first joined forces with Pernod, when Pernod acquired part of our business in 2017, we immediately hired some staff. We immediately hired a guy named Travis Hammond, who is became our operations manager at the time. And then he has just assumed the role of facilities manager and, and head distiller from me in the last four or five months. We have a guy named uh, Andrew Robinson, who is head of blending and, and bottling for us. We have Stu, who does all of our blending. We have Paul, who handles all of our manufacturing and maintenance. And Anna and Susan now are handling our finances. And, and so we have a really good team here that are able to take each one of those individual components and be really great in that individual thing. And so that's really freed me up. You know, when you start a small business, I think you have to do a lot of things, right? The jack of all trades, master of none is really what helps you start a small business, I think. Now that we've grown and now that our business is bigger, we need people who are specialized in those individual things. And we now have a team that is really, really strong in each one of those individual aspects. So I've been able to take a step back 
and to be able to let them grow into their roles. It's been wonderful because they're all really good at what they do and really good at their job. It's hard for me to now take my hands off of it and to let them go do it without trying to micromanage it. And it's not really because I don't think they're capable of doing it. It's because my brain doesn't let me, doesn't, I don't want to do that. Right. Is that why you moved across the street? (laughs) Just to like, like I got to separate myself a a little bit. Maybe it's so they'd realize he's not doing much anymore. (laughs) He's just got like, I'm going to, I'm going to act like I'm busy over there. Well, you know, what's great is that if I'm over there, then there's, there's a tendency for people who maybe have been at the distiller. We, We haven't lost many people over the years. And so for there's there's a tendency for people who have known me since the beginning or been here since the beginning to come to me. And what they really need to do is to come to the person who's now in charge of that. And then if that doesn't work, then they come to me, right? Well, they, they know that there's an open door with me. But I think it's really nice that I'm over there and that they go to the person who's in that position to control that that specific thing. So it's nice. It's not. It's not like they're they're scared to come talk. You're like, oh, yeah, don't go bother John. Don't bother the founder no, over there. Don't bother the founder. That's the Godfather. Don't bother him. I think if anybody's ever met me, that they would know that that's certainly not the case. <laughs> if anybody has that opinion of me, <laughs> reach out to me because I need to fix it. That's not how I am for sure. And not only are those people, is it great that though that our staff is are going to the people who are in leadership positions here, but the leaders here are really really smart. I can't wait for you all to spend some time with Travis in a little bit and for us to spend some time over dinner and talk to you about how wonderful and how smart I think each one of these people are in their individual jobs. And I think what a bright future that they have. And oh, by the way, we make a lot better whiskey than we used to make because these people are in those positions because I'm not having to worry about all these little tasks, right? I'm able to go focus on other things and to be able to you know, spend some time with my family, but also really to go out and try to be creative and think about what the future is like while they worry about making whiskey when I was not really able to separate those those times as well as I am now. So it's great. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, you had started making some whiskey here at your facility. You were talking about earlier about you had a, a copper pot still, and then you said, all right, we got to, let's go ahead, bring in the, the column still. But you were also sourcing a lot at the same exact time. And you kind of always said that Old Scout is kind of what puts you on the map at that point. So talk about where, you know, sourcing started coming in and why sourcing really never left for you. Well, you know, we found, we didn't even know about sourcing when we started the business. So been amazing. Most people did. And they're like, I can get what from where for how much? Right. <laughs> That's right. And today we, we were talking about it earlier when we were walking around the distillery and the business is so much different than it was when we started. But to today, if a brand is interested in, if somebody's interested in creating a brand, frequently what they do is they go out and find contract distillate. They make a brand. They see if they can be successful with the brand. And if they are, then they build a distillery. We were fools. We did it the opposite way. We started the distillery first and then started sourcing whiskey. But the reality of it was that we didn't know, we didn't really know about sourced whiskey. And we found out about sourced whiskey when we were buying our second still. We had one pot still. We bought a second still. And and during that interaction, we found out about sourced whiskey. And so about the same time we were starting on the second still, we were started to dabble in the sourced whiskey. And that was 2011. And that was Old Scout, right? And we also made some mistakes with Old Scout was that we wanted to make Old Scout a brand that was about antique shopping for whiskey. We were going out and find a little of this and a little of that and a little bit of this, and we were trying to release it into the market. You might think of it like, you know, like independent bottlers of scotch 
And there's a couple of brands that have done a really good job with that, you know, making something a specific proof or aging it in some unique way or finishing it in some unique way. And that was the goal of Old Scout. And the problem was, is that the bourbon business was exploding. And so Old Scout became something different than it originally was intended to do. And so we were still making whiskey here at the distillery and making more than ever because Old Scout was successful. But we were also sourcing more whiskey than we ever had. And and we were just winging it, right? We would have created probably a different brand and a different, now the words you know, different brand architecture than we had because we had so many variations of Old Scout along the way. So certainly a lot of, a lot of mistakes that we made along the way, but we also rode the coattails of the bourbon growth in the business. And, and oh, by the way, we worked really, really hard and obsessed about every detail. So that's really kind of how we got kind of how we got going and, and what happened with, with Old Scout for us to start off with, it, at least initially. Did the market dictate that Old Scout was going to be these like 8 to 13, 14, you know, whatever, MGP barrels or whatever back then? Did that the market dictate that or how did it turn into what it became, I guess? Yeah, we, again, so we, we just, the first time we ever bought Old Scout, we bought 40 barrels. And then we bought, another, we were like, well, this is a pretty good gig. This is working out pretty well. And we bought 80 barrels. And then I think we bought 120 barrels. And then my investor, who's a really brilliant guy, said, I think you should buy as many as you can buy. And I think we bought about 3,800 barrels at the time. Oh, wow. And it was a combination of high rye, which is in the regular Old Scout offering, a low rye, which is in a product called Old Scout 10. And then we had the 95.5, which is uh, in Old Scout rye. And so we had all three of those different offerings, the Old Scout, the Old Scout 10, and the Old Scout Rye. And again, it was going to be very small. What we were going to make was going to be very small, limited runs. And everybody kept wanting more and more and more of each one of those three things. And so that's kind of what what we started off with. And then the market started saying, hey, you should do some single barrel offerings. Some retailers said that we should do some single barrel offerings and you should do custom picks. And so that's really how we got into that. And as you all know, and as a lot of the people that are listening to this will know, that's really where we made our name is in eight to 12 year old single barrel picks, single barrels or custom picks. That's really kind of what, what we were known for, for a long time. So when the, that shift started happening, the dynamics started changing and people were gravitating towards this old scout product. Was there ever a thought that said, shut the still down? Like, why don't we just go all in over here with this business model that's starting to boom and really be a growth model for us? Yeah, but certainly it was very, it was a very, um, a loose conversation. It was, there was never any serious conversation about, hey, let's completely get out of making whiskey. When we first started, we were making- We've already got the equipment here. We might as well, we <laughs> right. might, might as well use it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the great things about Old Scout is that it was funding the growth for us. So we were making money on Old Scout and spending it growing our own business and expanding our own business. But when we started, we made vodka and gin and made a little bit of whiskey. And as Old Scout started being successful and as the market started changing, we started making less vodka and less gin and we started making more and more whiskey. So when 2011 happened and we bought that second still, we were almost exclusively making whiskey and using two pot still methods, right? We have one stripping still and one spirit still and just using the success from Old Scout to fund the growth of that of that whiskey. So did you see, okay, we can, we can sunset old scout one day and then focus on our in-house brands and what we're distilling and stuff like that. Was that part of it? Just like this whole time, we're going to have a dual prong approach. I have never once thought about shelving old scout. 
ever since we got into the sourced whiskey business, I have really loved the side of it that is about the sourcing whiskey, the procurement of stock that you don't make yourself and heck might not even see the light of day if it wasn't for independent bottlers. I mean, a lot of those products that we were first sourcing were meant to go into an RTD. So bourbon and cola in a can in another country. So whiskey that we're selling that became highly sought after as call it 12 year old old scout single barrel was going to be four year old RTD and with a Coke uh, bourbon and cola in a can. That just seems like a sin to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, no, we never once seriously thought about it. So if we think about some of those early days of, of buying the MGP barrels and you said, all right, we're going to buy a bunch. We got 3,800. Did you have a timeline to say this is how long is this going to last us? Do we need to start putting new make down over here? Do we need to start figuring out like, how do we, like, where's the MGP spreadsheets? Yeah. So we can, like, how do we figure out what the future is? It's going to be like, can we, can we start doing that? And did you do it? Or is it just like, it's just source model. We're going to buy just everything that's aged that's out there. Well, you're bringing up some bad memories, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> we, we The hindsight 2020 the conversation. Hind, hindsight yeah. is 2020. We made a lot of mistakes when it came to source whiskey. We failed to create a accurate barrel model. And buying new make distillate, right? We, we think of source whiskey as being able to buy it in two ways, either age, spot purchase juice, juice that is some level of maturity along the way, or juice that is new make right off the still. And we were trying to buy spot purchase juice all along the way and never really buy new make. And that was a huge mistake for us. We kept thinking that, oh, this this new crazy pricing that we're seeing and the lack of availability in the market is eventually going to change. That's what we were thinking in 2012 and 2013. <laughs> and wow, were we ever wrong. As it, as it that, continually compounded. That, that's right. And so we, we, that's really what ultimately created the issue for us in 2016 when we really started running out of juice. Over 2000, 2014, 2015, we kept thinking there were going to be opportunities. And there were a few opportunities that presented themselves that never really came to fruition where we were going to buy sp- be able to buy spot purchase juice and those just never materialized. And so we were burning through all of this juice with the rapid increase in demand and we were never able to buy that juice. And so that's ultimately what led us, you know, led us to running out, running out of product in 2016. Well, it's hard because you don't really, at the time, you know, you say 2012, you don't really have a case study. You could like, you know, somebody that was in a similar situation where you're, you know, spot buying age juice, there was always age product available and somebody that had to like think about pivoting and, you know, buying new made, you know, it, it, I guess there just wasn't someone you could say, oh, this is the way you should scale your, your source business model or whatever. Whereas somebody like us and how we can go, you know, take lessons from you, from Trey, from new riff or whoever, you know, that's done the, from the sourcing to their own brand and whatnot. It's a, so I wouldn't say you made a mistake. It's just like, how the hell would you know that? <laughs> That's a, that, well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, so, so there, there was no, there are really three things. There was no example that we could look to and say, this is how you do it. This is, this is what we need to be doing. The second thing was, is that I was incapable of dreaming that big. Yeah. And I grew up in a 900 square foot house with a single mom and I was incapable of realizing that we could have a business that needed 10,000 barrels of whiskey at some 
variety of age along the way. And, you know, I also couldn't imagine or couldn't stomach being in debt for whatever that was right. going to cost, seven, eight, ten million dollars. So that was a problem. Those three things kind of all came together and they were they were issues. And again, in hindsight, yeah, we could we could fix it. But I try not to look, I joke, but I try not to look too much in the past and think what could have been. I'm always trying to think about how do we fix today? How do we fix the problems that we have so we're not in the same problem five years from now or seven years from now? We'll kind of talk about some of those things that you're trying to fix today because one of the things that we want to talk about is because, yeah, you, you're trying to build a lot of these brands, or should I say, try to build the, the old Scout brand basically still on the same MGP source. So how has it gotten harder over the years to be able to do that? And what was the sort of market reaction when it sort of went off and came back on as well? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. One of the things that we want to talk about is because, yeah, you, you're trying to build a lot of these brands, or should I say, try to build the, the old Scout brand, basically still on the same MGP source. So how has it gotten harder over the years to be able to do that? And what was the sort of market reaction when it sort of went off and came back on as well? The market reaction is a really interesting thing. Old Scout has never really returned to the height at which it was. And you never really know. I mean, the juice is still excellent, but it's it's never had when when you lost we lost some of the traction. We never have fully regained that traction. I think that's a couple of things. One, most importantly, maybe is that a lot of companies that we were in the same space with had a giant inflection point during those years. When you look at the data, they were really growing from say fifteen to seventeen. And they've, they've, that growth has slowed down, but they've certainly sustained that level of business. And we really missed that, that action. And so I think that's been the, probably the single biggest point. And then, you know, we tried to cover some of that 
inventory shortage by having some American whiskey, which we thought was a really good whiskey. It wasn't as good as maybe Old Scout Bourbon, but it wasn't priced the same way that Old Scout Bourbon was priced as well either. So I think certainly the whiskey is good now. The whiskey that we sell now is the same whiskey that we sold years ago. It's you know five to six-year-old MGP high-rise, absolutely delicious whiskey. But I just I think we lost a lot of traction over a couple of years. That can lead me to another point, which is I can't tell you how excited I'm about kind of where we are now and where we're going. But that's certainly certainly we lost some traction over those maybe three or four years that we were out. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. And the other part I kind of want to touch on as well is that you're transparent is so transparent. You're almost transparent to a fault. That's the way I kind of picture us sometimes. It's like we we tell everybody where we get everything and we'll be a part of this. And that's one thing that's kind of been a cornerstone of like your beliefs and what you're trying to do is because you're not trying to hide behind somebody's formula or somebody's recipe. You're just like, no, 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 this is exactly what we're doing. We're, we're sourcing it. We're blending and we're doing all these different kinds of things. Like talk about why did you figure out how to do that? Because at the very beginning, you just saw that there was a, a great market reaction to it. Like everybody always said, like smooth ambler, they had the best MGP barrels and people just always gravitated and said, they're the best. Now they just, you might've got lucky, just got the right ones off the right racks, but there was something that people always gravitated towards and maybe it was just the the transparency level of it. I don't think we really made a decision to be open and honest about it first is I didn't, I don't really know any other way to operate. We're really bad marketers <laughs> and uh, I don't think I could come up with a story nor did I ever want to. There are people who are going to make a lot more money in the business than us and they're going to be a lot more successful, but you know, we want to be, we want to be good, honest people trying to put out delicious whiskey at an affordable price, and we're going to do it the right way every time that we know how to do it. And so that's just that—that that was really something that we thought that we were going to do, and we've done ever since we started our business, and especially when we started sourcing Old Scout. I remember when it really broke my heart. We won uh, World's Best Single Barrel. I can't even remember what year it is. Maybe 2016, right when we were running out of inventory. Great thing to have happen. Yeah, very perfect time. To perfect. Be, yeah, perfect put time. the medals up. Yeah. So we, I think we won World's Best Single Barrel in 2016, and uh, um, somebody interviewed me right after that. And the first thing I said was MGP did the heavy lifting. They were literally the first words out of my mouth. And then I read a bunch of stuff online about how we don't even make it. And I just thought, yeah, we tell everybody that. We don't we're not even we're not even telling everybody that. We're using it as a point of differentiation and it's always made me a little bit a little bit sad that we I, I really again, I try not to look back, but about the only thing I ever really get a little bit sour on is I never feel like we get enough credit. I really do believe we were the pioneers in telling people the truth and using that as a point of differentiation and make sure that everybody knew what sourced whiskey was and how it happened and why we did it. And I, I never really feel like we got that enough credit for that. And somebody, somebody's going to be listening to this and think, oh my gosh, they're like, they're like the guys that did it. But I still feel like we never get the pat on the back that we deserve. Do you think there was just maybe like a, I don't want to say maybe like a negative connotation because it was Indiana MGP versus like someone who sourced for like Kentucky, you know, like it seems like, you know, the Kentucky owls or the Willets or whoever, you know, who sourced from Kentucky never got, they get a pass. It, they got a pass, you know, whereas even though you all had great success and whatnot, but some people were, you know, kind of, I guess, hesitant or like a negative context because it was Indiana MGP or whatever. Did you ever feel? And that was before the big MGP train really yeah. kind of kicked off. Yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I sometimes wonder if it was about the fact that we're. Because uh, they're doing the same thing. Like what you all did is people don't understand with source whiskey. It's not just buying barrels, put in a bottle. It's a whole, you have to have a great palate. You have to be able to find those unique barrels. You have to, 
find which ones work together if you're blending them if they're the unique single barrels it's it's a lot of time and effort and energy it's not just give us a lot and we're going to dump them into a bottle and make it happen but they were doing the same things and even though that'd but, be really easy to do exactly but uh i guess help people understand the difficulty and challenges of sourcing that make when you do nail it, that it's not just putting it in a bottle, a barrel in a bottle. Well, uh, let me speak to one thing first, which is I think one of the big problems is that maybe that we got some grief and some others didn't. Kenny hit the nail on the head earlier. We were honest to a fault. <laughs> so it, it reminds me a little bit of a story about contradiction. When we first put out the contradiction label, we wanted to make a label that was the most it had the most detail and very, to be very, very specific on the back of the label. And it said 27% weeded bourbon from West Virginia, 73% low rye bourbon from Indiana. Well, I don't know, four months ago, no, more than that, 10 months ago, somebody online was like, well, they only make 27% of that. The reason you know that is because we told everybody. <laughs> we told them that. Right. So instead of them... It'd be so be, much easier if we just didn't say that. that yeah. And we don't put the percentages on the back of it like that, but we still tell everybody that you know we make some of it and we source some because it seems like it, it always became a point to be... It was a negative point instead of a positive point, and we wanted it. We still look at it as a, as a positive point. When it comes to the whiskey, though, I, I think maybe one of the things that we've done really well sourcing whiskey is we think we've been very good shepherds of the whiskey. And as I mentioned, MGP does the heavy lifting. Anybody that tells you that blending is as hard as sourcing grain and milling and mashing and fermenting and distilling and putting in a barrel, they're they're full of it. It's not. Making whiskey is not easy and making really good whiskey is not easy. And so we've tried to always give credit to MGP when we've sourced whiskey from them and and talk about how great their whiskey is. We've been a really good steward of that. And you're right, it's not as simple as buying it and dumping it and sticking it into a bottle. We think we have a really great filtration method. We think we're uh, very good about selecting barrels that play nice with each other. We are super obsessive about the water that we dilute with when we when we dilute. And of course, if you go all the way back to new make, we're really good about you know picking the lots that we want and taking lots that we don't want or having lots that, you know, maybe what might need more age don't on them than other lots. And so I think we've tried to be really good stewards, really good shepherds of the whiskey along the way. And, you know, it probably didn't, I said this to somebody the other day, but it didn't make any sense to the young people, but you know, we'll do the Pepsi challenge with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Pepsi challenge. Yeah, I know. I know. I'll, I'll choose Pepsi. Clear what? Pepsi? Diet Pepsi? No. You choose, are you Coke? I'm Coke. You're Coke well, person? I'm, I'm neither one. That shit will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Too much sugar for you. That's right. So as we kind of keep talking about the, you know, the source whiskey trend here, you know, the thing I want to think about is as you started getting into this and you, as you started, you know, at the beginning, you said, you know, get 40 barrels, get 80 barrels, get 3,200 barrels. You can always look back and say, yeah, sure. I wish I would have gotten more. If you were going to give advice to some people that were getting into source whiskey, thinking they want to get into this, like what are the initial challenges that, not just capital, but what were some of the initial challenges that you really ran into? And is that something that you thought that was like, okay, we can continue doing this? Well, there's a more than just the capital is finding great whiskey, especially now. Yeah, I was about to say, today's a much different story than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, two and a half years ago. Yeah. The challenge of finding great whiskey out there in the market, a lot of that capacity is gone. 
how do you know if it's great whiskey? Because somebody told you it's great whiskey, right? Our system of what's great whiskey today is very different than what it is when it, what it used to be. You know, we, we run through a organoleptic panel. We run all the samples that we get through a gas chromatograph. We check the proof on all those things. And we have a couple of people who are very specifically not trained, but necessarily we know have specific talents in picking out flaws in whiskey. It's not so, just John going... Yep. It's that, good. Let's that's go. the first thing that the first time we ever bought whiskey. That's what it was. I yeah. cracked a bottle in my office and smelled it and was like, Oh, that's the one we've been looking for. Right. Yeah. And that's how we picked it. Now we go, we'd gone through, we'd gone through a bunch of them before that. Right. But now it's very different. What we do now is very different than what we used to do. And so I think you have to have a talent to do those things. You got to have a system of how you, you know, how, everything from receiving barrels to filtration of, of whiskey to how you get it into a bottle. And that's more, again, that's more than just right. Dumping it and putting it into a, putting it into a bottle. I think what I'd tell people if they were getting into the business, one of the things that I was going to say before you ruin my joke, which is, uh, you better <laughs> I'll have set a, you up again. Yeah, yeah, better have a big bank account if you're going to source whiskey and you're going to do it for a long time because you, as we as we talked about the mistakes that we made. If you're if you're going to bring out a call it a seven year old whiskey, you've got to have, you know, six year old whiskey that's you know a, a whiskey that's six years old. Now, so you can have seven year old whiskey next year, and you've got to have that all the way back to new make. And that you got to hope you don't want to scale because you've got to start thinking about how many more barrels am I going to need for the next few years. You got, or if you want to blend. So if you want to scale, why well, does that change the barrel model? If you want to blend something into two and, and use two component pieces to make something else, how does that change the barrel model? Barrel models can be complicated beasts when oh, you're talking gosh, about yeah. how that's going to change. They're like MIT spreadsheets, you know, that <laughs> try to forecast this shit. It it makes my head hurt. Yeah, we, I got some talented people that uh, that know that run some pretty complicated systems, including one which I love called the WAM, which is the whiskey allocation model. Yeah, I so absolutely love it. Talk about that. How how much better are you at projecting and figuring out like the you know the future pipeline and what you need and to procure that and make sure you have everything you know for the future growth? Yeah, where's the WAM looking at right today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're way better than we're way better at everything. You know, I. I, I like to tease. I lo especially love to tease when somebody from Pernod is in the room, which is, and I make some wisecrack about our corporate overlords. But one of the things that that we've done very well is that, or one of the things that's a benefit to us is just there's so many talented people in the organization. You, you've got, you know, Dr. Don up in, I don't know if y'all know Dr. Don, but Dr. Don up in Canada, who, who I think he has a PhD in barrel maturation and fermentation, and you've got safety people and you've got excellent people who are really good with finance and therefore good with these barrel models. And, you know, we make better whiskey. We're safer at making whiskey and we run a better business than we were five years ago. And it's showing in our product and it's going to continue to show for years to come. So, what are we doing better? We do we do a, a lot of stuff, a <laughs> yeah. lot of stuff better, and uh, our our barrel forecasting is is certainly much better than it used to be. So let's talk about today. Today the the source whiskey market has changed a lot. There's a lot more players that are coming into the game. There's a lot more people with a lot bigger bank accounts that are coming into the game, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. And now, therefore, we have seen age stock increase pretty significantly over the past couple months and in past year or two. So how are you all able to continually, you know, keep sourcing and putting out these, these five to six year products? Is the goal to keep doing that, to keep doing the spots? Or are you going to keep aging more and more and more to, you know, put extra age your years on them? Or is it just like, hey, we've got a great business model. People are loving this. Let's just keep doing this. 
we're we're doing a little bit of both of those things. People are loving the five and six year old whiskey that we put out, but I would really like to get back to the seven year old whiskey. Most people know Old Scout as Old Scout Seven. That's coming very soon. There are a few single barrels that are that are starting to hit now that are seven years old, and we're working hard to we're age. We're picking it. one today. No, no. <laughs> we're picking the eight year old today. That's no, right. <laughs> Sorry, something's wrong with my headset there. <laughs> uh, cut out on you. Cut out on me. So uh, you know, so p- people love that, but we we want to age our inventory up. We've we we've been talking over the last couple of months about working hard to get most of our products to a seven year old most of our old scout products to a seven year age statement. And, and that's something we're working on. We're excited. That's going to happen in the near future. So we're really excited about, about that. Ultimately, when it comes to source whiskey, there's a lot of them out there now. And as we mentioned a couple of times already, how different that is than where we were maybe 10 years ago, or maybe even eight or five, uh, seven or eight years ago. Ultimately, somebody's got to decide what their point of differentiation is. And if there are five brands or six brands that have the same product coming out and those there's only so much growth that all of those brands can have before there's saturation in the market. So what's your point of differentiation? And so we, we recognize that that old scouts got to either be, it's got to be higher proof. It's got to be older. There's got to be some unique barrel finishes on that. Something about that's got to be different than the other five or six brands out there that are sourced. Again, again, we'll do the challenge with anybody. We think we do a really good job of that and better than a lot of people. But ultimately, we've got to create something that's different. We really think of ourselves as being very different, though, than just source whiskey, right? We, we don't even think of ourselves as a distillery anymore. We think of ourselves as a whiskey company. So we have all of the whiskey that's homemade. We have all of the whiskey that's procured. And then we have the whiskey that we make that is mingled. And so we think we have a really great portfolio of whiskey, a selection of whiskey now that we didn't have years ago. And, and something I've talked about a little bit, we talked about changing the narrative on some other things earlier. And, you know, people think of the heyday of Smooth Ambler as being the eight to 12 year old, old scout, single barrel custom picks. And that whiskey is great. It's delicious. And we, we wish we had a lot more of it, right? Cause people will buy all that stuff, but I've never been more excited about the whiskey that we have than I am today. And that's, a hundred percent true. I've never been this proud about what we do and this excited about the whiskey because we finally gotten over this issue that we had with old scout, right? So we finally gotten old scout back to a mature state after it became, after it, it really, you know, went away. Contradiction is better than it's ever been. If you had contradiction, it used to be a blend of two and nine year old whiskey. Now it's all four or five years old, up to 12 years old. We're better at blending. The whiskey got better. We got better at making whiskey, right? So contradictions like the contradiction bourbon, we got contradiction rye now, which is going out with great success. And uh, our founders, Castrate Series Rye, just won double gold at San Francisco Spirits Competition. That's 100% made in West Virginia. So we've got products that we source and or procure and products that we mingle and products that we make homemade, all of them winning double golds right now. And I got to tell you, I'd love to tell you about some of the experiments that Travis is doing with whiskey and the changes that he's made in our production. The whiskey that we're going to put out over the next five to 10 years is going to blow away the whiskey that we made for the first 10 years in our business. And it makes me like, it's awesome. I'd love to end it on that, but I got another question for you. That was was really good. I was like, man, it's like, it keeps the roller coaster keeps going up. It's going, it's awesome. But I do want to ask one more kind of question, kind of a little bit of a spicy topic here. And it, dovetails my last question of 
as the prices keep going up and, you know, Barry Yonke gets the, we get the phone call from MGP going. Barry's still there? Man, Barry's still there at MGP. He's, he's an old school guy there. And he's like, oh, okay, barrel prices are going up. Are you all looking at this and saying, we'll go ahead and we'll absorb the cost now. And hopefully in, over time that these costs will gradually go back down. What's your kind of future anticipation of what that, that source whiskey market's going to look like? what were the prices you were paying 10 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Just if I happen to know a guy who was sourcing whiskey, what are the prices? Um, we, we don't have any, yeah, we're absorbing all those costs right now. We don't, we're not changing anything. There's been not one discussion that we've had about changing our price based off of the, the prices of, of new make or based off of raw materials at this point. Yeah. And so what do you see the kind of future happening? Do you think it's going to level out? Do you think this craziness is going to keep going? Because we, we look at it and raw cost materials are going up, everything's going up and we're like, well, crap, I, I don't think they're ever going to go back down. Like, what do you think? <laughs> you know, that's a really great, great <laughs> question. Every time somebody sends us a price increase related to any raw material at all, any of our component pieces, they're like, oh, we've got this, uh, we've got this new, you know, temporary, whatever fuel surcharge. Never once have they been <laughs> they, temporary. Yeah, they're yeah. Oh, they're just there. They stay. Yeah, at some point in time, I guess you've got to. I mean, this I guess the the new inflation that we're seeing, the unprecedented inflation that we're seeing right now, is um is certainly something to be concerned about. I assume at some point in time we're going to have to start having those conversations, but there've been none had so far. But it is very concerning because everything that we buy is going up. Uh, our grain prices are going up. Our barrel prices are going up. Glass is going up. Uh, you know, maybe capsules are still stagnant. Yeah, right? they're, they're like they're, four yeah, cents a that's piece. That's the only yeah. thing. I was about to say, that's the only good thing we have working in this business right now are PVC capsules. <laughs> that's right. The capsules, they're running great. <laughs> they're, they're staying stable. That's great. And, and of course, one of the things that we're really proud of, as proud as we are of the whiskey that we make, are the differences that we've made in people's lives that work here. And so ultimately, if it's harder on them, if they're they're seeing increases, and of course they are, then they're going to need salary increases. So I'm sure that conversation is going to be had too. So ultimately, everything that we touch, except for those capsules, everything that we touch <laughs> is is going up, right? So it's being it, with a company like Pernod, you know, at their big scales, it make it a little easier to, I guess, absorb the price increases because of the, I guess, the, the scale that in the quantities you're able to buy versus back when you were, you know, just on your own? I think so. There, yes, the answer is yes. One of the things that they also do very well is they have, again, it's it's the same thing as I mentioned earlier about the jack of all trades, the master of none versus somebody very specific. They have a really brilliant guy named Brad Sterling who's in charge of their procurement. So it's somebody who buys all of supplies for all of North American whiskey or you know, somebody who, who has their pulse on procuring all of those materials and has so much experience in it, they really have a really good idea of, they told us early on about the glass shortage and how long they predicted it was going to last, when they thought it was going to be so over. how much longer do we have? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, is it almost over? <laughs> hey, you, you got to pay a lot of money for that, for that valuable information. And, and having that, those people on your team is is really wonderful. And so it, it feels good that we have smart people on our team that understand all of those things and people that we didn't previously have access to. And then is it easier to absorb those things? I don't think so. We still run really 
it's really difficult to describe how we run, but we we really run as our own independent business. But with in terms of the way each one of our the, the, our cog total cost of goods uh, work here, and then what we price it for. So without a lot of influence, at least from Pernod. So is it really easier to absorb that? Not really. At least, at least not yet. We do get to buy barrels in a little bit bigger quantities, but you know, our glass is unique to us and certain sure. things are unique yeah. to us. So we're not able to buy those things in especially large quantities that give us price breaks that maybe are beneficial to us. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, John, it's been awesome to have you back on the show. Yeah. I think there's been, there's one quote that I've heard out of you that's always stuck near and dear to my heart. I think you had put it on a, a Facebook forum one time when somebody asked like, oh, what's the kind of greatest whiskey that you ever tried? And you always said- the greatest whiskey is, whiskey is still yet to be made. That's one of the things that I uh, we say all the time. We think that from a lot of the heritage distilleries, the greatest whiskey that they've ever made is, is somebody's already drank. And the greatest whiskey that we've ever made, you're getting ready to taste it in a couple of years. And that, I mean, it just really, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I just absolutely love the fact that, that about how bright our future is. I can't wait for the people listening to this stuff for you all to drink some of the whiskey yeah, that, that we make ourselves. We're really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know I was excited when I got the contradiction ride that you had sent us and we tried it and we're like, yeah. they're onto something here. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah. I was blown away. It's amazing how much what a kind of a pivot we've made toward rye. We brought out three ryes in the last year. We brought out the contradiction rye. We brought out old scout rye. We brought it back again, uh, at least in a single barrel format. And then we brought out the founders cash Strength series rye. Yeah. So, I want to try this West Virginia rye. The one double golden. It's really good. Yeah. And we'll, well, let's just uh, taste that. We've got some founders cash Strength series bourbon coming out in May ish we'll let you taste some of that stuff here today too good Perfect. deal can't wait to hell of a birthday i know looking forward to it i'm gonna be Perfect. i'm gonna be in great shape for the ghost later <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna call you down to tackle it yeah <laughs> well john thank you again for coming on the show if uh, people want to know more about you more about smooth ambler how do they find it ah, i find it on smoothambler.com uh facebook slash smooth ambler and instagram at, at smooth ambler Awesome. Yeah, make sure you follow them. And thank you so much again for being such a longtime supporter and sponsor yep. of the show. It's been great to finally come down here and actually have these conversations with you in person and be here and drink your whiskey and have some good time picking a barrel too. Well, we really like what you all do. We appreciate the contribution that y'all are making to the spirits business and we're glad to be a part of it. Well, again, thank you, you so much. Very, very proud to be a part of that. So make sure you follow Smooth Ambler. Send John a message whenever you want. Be like, hey, Tell us more to find more contradiction. I'm sure he'll, he'll be on the Twitter right there to be able to answer your DMs. So, Perfect. Yeah, make sure you follow us as well, Bird Pursuit, wherever you get your podcasts and all the socials. Cheers, folks. We'll see you next week. <laughs>